Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And, uh, yes, indeed, it is our goal to make a difference every single week, um, both live and on the archive. So I welcome everyone to today's show. Our show is kind of a part two to um, a show that we did um, several uh, weeks ago. Well, in fact, it was uh, last October. Um, It's a follow-up, and it's a groundbreaking show in many ways with regard to uh, speaking about – uh, immigration, specifically illegal immigration, immigrants, and uh, not all illegal immigrants, but those who commit crimes and the aftermath and the um, the disaster, the, the tragedy they leave in their wake, and the very broken governmental system that is charged with uh, trying to fix the, the problem and. So we are going to talk um, with attorney Chester Fairley and um, the mom of uh, Casey Chadwick, who was murdered by an illegal alien. Her name is Wendy Hartling. But before we bring them in, I just wanted to say um, greetings to Delilah, and I'm very pumped to uh, have this show today. And uh, how are you doing? And uh, what, what would you like to say by way of introduction to this Part two. Well, greetings oh, to you too. And uh, I just think this is this is just uh, it's an outrage number one, and the listeners will get the details from our guests um, what all they've been through and what is is impacting not just them and their case, but possibly a lot of other cases too. Definitely. So yeah. we're. we're yeah, we're we're very pleased to have cutting edge uh, cutting edge material on this show. We work very hard to do that, and hopefully, we make a difference. So, and Chester, Chester yes. is our friend of many years from the affiliation with Survivors of Homicide. A very good advocate for them. And Wendy, thank you so much for being with us again today. I know you have a lot on your plate, and we're going to talk about some of some of those things that have been happening since last October. So welcome, welcome to Shattered Lives Radio once again. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, maybe I'll start just with an a introduction or a short summary of how we all got here. Sure. Uh, Jean Jacques uh, was uh, Haitian, uh, probably came... Uh, uh, try, trying to come to Florida by boat, uh, he was picked up and taken to the uh, Immigration Processing Center at Guantanamo. Uh, probably he claimed political asylum uh, because that's what uh, just about all of the uh, immigrants trying to come to the United States claim. Uh, 
And uh, that's how he got to the attention of immigration authorities. Uh, he was allowed to stay uh, and made his way to Norwich, Connecticut. In 1994, he, uh, he shot uh, a man in the back of the head and shot a woman. Uh, he was acquitted of murder but found guilty of attempted murder and sentenced to serve 17 years. Uh, when it came time for him to be released, uh, Connecticut Corrections notified Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a federal agency that handles deportations, uh, ICE, and ICE came, took him into custody, and for some reason, and we do not yet know why, they were unable uh, to uh, deport him back to Haiti, uh, and they released him back into general population. He violated parole. He was arrested again by Connecticut prison authorities, served a few months, uh, conveyed again to ICE, who, uh, which released him. This is release number two. Uh, he violated uh, uh, parole again, uh, picked up by Connecticut authorities, uh, put back in prison for a short term, conveyed to ICE. This is uh, ICE custody number three. Uh, and then he was released in January of 2015 and on June 15th killed Casey Chadwick. Uh, so... Wow. This is really uh, quite a dramatic, uh, tragic uh, store history, which also shows three uh, failures by ICE. And I would like to add that Wendy Hartling, Casey's mother, has found the strength to become a victim advocate uh, and is very involved in the process of trying to avoid these uh, tragedies for other families. Well, kudos. Thank you, Chester, for that very good summary. And kudos to you, Wendy. I just think it, it takes tons of courage. Not only are you grieving over the loss of your daughter and trying to put your life back together in some semblance of normalcy, but then having to be thrust into this very bureaucratic system that none of us can understand, and then you, you see that, you know, there's just failure upon failure. Wendy, can you, can you tell us with regard to all of that span of time and all of those fail, failures by ICE, how, how long a span of time did, did that take place? And um, what, what was your general feeling in the beginning? And now I think you have a much more informed perspective. What what was going through your head then and, and compared to maybe now? Well, at the, at the beginning, I wasn't sure of any anything until Chester got in, in, in touch with me about uh, the fact that he should have been deported. But... Um, I grew, you know, then I got together with Chester and um, I've learned just through this whole process from since the day she died, she was murdered um, about um, the deportation uh, laws that aren't, they're there, but they're not in effect. 
it's like they have to, somebody's got to um, fix the problem so that they, these laws that are in place can work so this right. can happen again. That, I guess that's the part that bothers me a lot is that they, this, these people, the woman from ICE had this huge book sitting on her uh, in front of her. And she kept hitting it and telling everybody that she had to follow what was in this book, but she, she couldn't give answers to all the questions that the congressman asked her, and she said she would get back to them. Like, so uh, she wasn't very helpful to me at all. I, I, was, did you- I didn't talk to her. Oh, that's what I was wondering. Did you talk to any of, of the people on, on the other side of the hearing table? They, did they approach you or the other family? Oh, we, we, they tried to. So I tried to make an appointment with me, but I was told it's better that I did not speak to them. Okay. Wow. Go ahead, Tester. Wendy is referring to the... Uh, uh, a House Committee, House Oversight Committee in Washington. Uh, House Oversight means they have the uh, responsibility to look at uh, legislation and to determine if uh, congressional policies are being carried out and if not, uh, what, what can be done to uh, enable or require that uh, federal agencies follow the direct direction of legislation. Uh, so that's the hearing. Wendy was there. She testified uh, from, from the heart and eloquently, and uh, uh, her testimony was very uh, moving uh, and, and it has, is, is resulting in you know, some movement toward change, we hope. Yeah. How did well? What it, as long as we're sort of on that topic versus the the murder trial, we could go back to that. How did this evolve in terms of the timing and all? I know that in the past you had approached Connecticut legislators, and uh, let's just say that they weren't exactly attentive to this issue, and then all of a sudden changed in in your favor. And how did you get involved to be? To sort of be a spokesperson and to be invited to this hearing. How did that? How did that happen? Either way. I, th- I think it was because I think it was when we went up to that Hartford hearing about yes. the balloon fall about the salmon, and then um, <laughs> so Lori Kavanaugh Hopkins or Lori right? Hopkins. Laurie, yeah, she she was the one who finally uh, got his attention, Blumenthal's attention with her petition, and Casey's case was on the petition. That's when they invested, uh, turned around and brought it to Congress, and uh, the Homeland Security is investigating Casey's case now. It's been, they've been investigating Casey's case. Listeners might not know what you mean about the salmon. Uh, do you want to, um, Chester? Do you want to tell them well, the, the sort I, of I, ironic I, thing that happened? Yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I, I would like to clarify that uh, we had met with uh, Senator Blumenthal, uh, a representative of his office, and a representative from Congressman Courtney's office. Uh, we we had uh, I uh, we had met with them. Uh, 
they were interested, um, but it's an issue that's uh, a little bit complicated and right. takes some time to uh, to to listen to it and to basically uh, outline uh, the agencies and the laws involved. Uh, so it, it is it's it's one where uh, it take it takes some attention. Uh, I, I can say, uh, especially now, we are very pleased with the response of uh, Senators uh, Blumenthal and Murphy and Congressman Courtney. Uh, we're extremely pleased now with their interest and involvement. Um, they all yeah, signed. And, and, and to their credit, I have to say also, I'm not trying to be critical, but it was just sort of uh, it, uh, ironic that, you know, people, all our legislators are approached by many, many people with many, many issues. And, they're, they're, you know, he was advocating for a particular sort of uh, health, health issue, and this was sort of far afield, and I think it might have taken him off guard. And in comparison, um you know, uh, they just they can't be up to speed on everything. So I think you're right in that. And in first glance, perhaps they weren't as informed, and it was just sort of ironic when you compare the two kinds of bills. But now they are very much involved and very much in your corner. So uh, the fact that they are there and they are kind of spearheading this on behalf of other people, I think, is is very good. And just just to let people know. Senator Blumenthal was our former attorney general, and he was a very active, very sort of in your in your face on the news every single day, advocating for many many issues. Isn't that right, uh, Chester? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now let's see. Uh, the two senators and uh, Congressman Courtney all signed a letter of demand directed to the Director of Homeland Security to demand a full investigation by the Inspector General of Homeland Security on the failure of the Jean-Jacques deportation. Uh, So they used uh, or are using their influence to get a, a, a much more detailed review of what happened here I think this is going to be the most in-depth review of a deportation failure. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, to a great, to a greater degree of detail than I have seen anywhere else. So we are very help, uh, hopeful and thankful for uh, their involvement. I also think when the Inspector General report becomes available that we will uh, hear more from the senators and uh, the congressmen. I think right now they're waiting for the report, and uh, but I, I'm sure they're going to be involved uh, in uh, efforts uh, to to fix this uh, in the future. So, so do you view this as Wendy's case and the other victim family sort of being the test case to kind of lead the way? Well, the tra- the tragedy of uh, Casey Chadwick's uh, uh, death uh, is so dramatic and uh, points uh, so critically at ICE that that it 
it properly has become a topic of uh, nationwide news coverage. Um, even the Associated Press did a long piece which went out to newspapers across the country and talked about the uh, uh, failure to deport John Jacques. And, and this, this, is in, it, this is in part due to Wendy's advocacy, her, her continued strength in stepping up and being heard, and uh, so that uh, there are many, uh, many more uh, senators and congressmen who are aware of what happened here, and uh, hopefully something will come of it. Mm-hmm. Can, can you perhaps share with us some of the statistics that we, we talked about the other day with regard to the, um, this, the expansive nature of how many illegal immigrants there are that have committed felonies and the cost? Because people, uh, I put up something and people are aghast at that. I was very yeah. surprised. Here, Wendy, you want to comment? Well, I yeah. know for sure that it's a very large number that um, ICE releases into general population of illegal immigrants that have committed heinous crimes. What is it, like 20,000 yeah. or something? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, just to clarify what's happening here is uh, that under the immigration code, uh, immigrants, uh, even if they have green cards or they have uh, visas or even if they're here legally uh, but not yet citizens, uh, if they commit certain felonies as uh, defined and listed under the immigration code and called aggravated uh, crimes, they are supposed to be deported without further uh, discretion or uh, uh, not, not allowed to have appeals, uh, they are supposed to be deported by ICE. Um, ICE is the largest law enforcement organization in the country. It is very well funded, um, and yet uh, deportations by ICE have steadily declined in the last few years. Um, about four years ago, they were deporting around 400,000 a year. Then it dropped to around 360, 360,000, then down to around 325. And then in uh, 2015, it was 200, about 230. So there has been a very dramatic decline in deportations by ICE at the same time that there's been very uh, significant increase in their budget, and this made some of the congressmen at the hearing very angry. Uh, now, on criminal uh, aliens, these are the immigrants who commit aggravated crimes. Um, over the last three years, around 86,000 uh, immigrants who commit aggravated crimes have been released by ICE back into population instead of being deported. Um, last year, 2015, I believe there were around 19,000. And the public doesn't know this is happening. ICE is very close to, uh, about releasing information. It's very hard to get information from them. 
And that's why these efforts by Wendy and other people uh, to, are important to bring this to public attention. Yeah, it's just incredible. Where, where do these, where do they go when this happens? I mean, do they end up, are they able to get jobs? Are they, are they on the street? Are they homeless? What, I mean, ultimately well, they end up committing other crimes as well, but what, what would be your typical scenario? Well, they're given a work permit uh, when they're released by ICE. The theory is uh, that their case uh, remains open, and if ICE is able to uh, put together the necessary travel documents and get the approval of the uh, country that uh, uh, of origin to receive them back, uh, ICE uh, will call these uh, people back in and tell them, uh, okay, we're now ready to deport you. So they're in this odd status of uh, having a, an open deportation file with ICE. Um, in the meantime, they're released and they're given a work permit and they can get a driver's license and they circulate into population and no one knows who they are except ICE. Uh, the public, uh, there's nowhere for the public to go to learn who they are uh, or their background. And in this case, Jean Jacques was just circulating in Norwich, actually the same city where he had committed the attempted murder in 1994. Um, so he was, uh, he was known to police authorities, uh, but not to the public. So wow. when Casey Chadwick uh, and her uh, boyfriend at that time, uh, when they met him, they they didn't they had no idea who he was. And, well, and Chester, a quick question. Um, I'm, I don't know all of the ins and outs of how ICE works or how they determine who should be deported and who shouldn't and and all of that. However. What happens to these people if their country of origin refuses to take them back? Where do they go? Well, uh, that's part of the problem. Um, If uh, in a deportation situation, the receiving country must accept the person who's going to be deported. Uh, this is part of the what they call the travel documents. Uh, it requires an, uh, an approval by the intended recipient country. So if a country refuses to accept any deportees, uh, that, that's one situation, and then there are about a dozen countries who will not accept any at all. Uh, then there are others that sign a repatriation treaty, which essentially says if the documentation is adequate and um, they are uh, natives of a particular country, uh, that they will take them back. That's when they have a treaty. However, sometimes they also refuse, like Haiti did here, refused, and we don't know why or what ICE did after that, but the result is that the person who's supposed to be deported is released back into U.S. 
society. Just like nothing ever happened, and they—they, they, I mean, we're talking about criminals here. How can we right. just release them back out into society like well, nothing ever happened? Because there's no well, way to punish they them. Are, well, they are punished for their crime uh, by state authorities. In the Jacques case, the attempted murder conviction in 1994, he served his 17 years in prison, uh, but then he was supposed to be deported out of the country. And that's where the breakdown happened. And, uh, and then as uh, Wendy and I explore this together, uh, we learn that the numbers are, are quite astonishing of the uh, immigrants who commit aggravated crimes who are uh, ultimately released back into U.S. society. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's well, as if this tragedy was uh, a window uh, into uh, a much greater problem, and, and that's, that's why Wendy's efforts are important, and, and that's why, uh, 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 thankfully, uh, this is gaining some momentum. Well, Chester, hypothetically, if if they were to accept him back or just anyone else of similar status, would they would they go into the the prison in Haiti? Would that be what they'd have to do? Incarcerate them, no. and that's part of the reason why they don't want to take them back. Well, uh, they wouldn't go into prison. They would go back. Uh, in this Jacques case, he would go back to Haiti as a Haitian uh, uh, citizen. Uh, he would not have any uh, crime uh, pending. Uh, uh, Even though but, he committed felonies in in the United States. He, well, he was punished. Uh, uh, he was punished for the attempted murder. So his okay. his debt uh, uh, to the society or state of Connecticut uh, was paid uh, by that prison sentence. Um, but you also make uh, an important observation, and that is. Uh, why would any country uh, accept back uh, such a dangerous person? I mean, I mean it's almost understandable uh, that they would thumb their nose at uh, U.S. immigration and say, here, you keep him up there. We, we don't want him back here. Um, and that means that uh, the U.S. has to use other means of influence on these countries to make them take back their citizens. Um, now, those other w- things are the uh, suspension of visas and the suspension of federal aid to the countries, uh, but that means of influence has has not yet been tried, and uh, that's part of, uh, part of the advocacy that Wendy's involved in, uh, in uh, trying to encourage uh, legislation to enable um, the State Department to suspend visas and foreign aid when the countries will not take their citizens back. And didn't you say that um, the tourism industry or lobby put pressure yeah, well, not to pre- do this? The State Department uh, resists uh, these efforts because the State Department does not want any interference in its power to regulate uh, foreign relations. Um, But I'd like to take a break. I've been talking a lot. I'd I'd like uh, Wendy to share with us a little bit about 
how she feels about being involved in this process and what it has meant to her. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, it it, has certainly helped me with with, um, the grieving. And, I mean, I'll always have that hole in my stomach. I'll always feel bad every day. But um, being an advocate for Casey and fighting for her, is is good for me. It, it's been very good for me, and I'm learning a lot, a lot of stuff, you know, about politics and stuff that I had no idea about. So, th- in th- in that aspect, um, trying to make a bad situation something out of a horrible situation, um, it's it's really helped me come 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 this far. It, it's helped you deal with your grief. What what yes. was it like? What was it like um, in in the hearing? Did you feel uh, did you feel confident? Did you feel intimidated? Did they do uh, besides the Connecticut delegation? Did did people make you feel welcome, or you knew you were there for a very important cause? So yes. Did you feel confident? I was very confident, and everybody was wonderful. Everybody yeah. was very. Yes, and I got a wonderful thank you letter for for testifying from Chavez, the uh, chair chairman of the uh, oversight committee. Yeah, I got a nice letter from them, and mm-hmm. um, uh, it's just it's it's it, 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 I'm learning things every single day. I'm learning well, more every single day. That's wonderful. I think we we spoke about this in the first show and how. Doing things like this really does help us move through the stages of grief and, you know, like what I do, it, it, it really really helps us to do something in memory of our loved one and to take the negativity out of it and to do something positive. So we're very proud of you, Wendy, and, and this is so soon in your process here. And just look, I can, I can only see, you know, other very good things, foresee other good things for you and you're building a legacy here. And I'm wondering if either of you could share some examples um, before we talk about the whole trial. Um, what, what was the tenor of the hearing? What, what were some of the examples of questions that were asked? And we know that they, they gave very noncommittal or very dissatisfying answers. What, what was asked? Of the committee. Let me try. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, this was a uh, uh, a uh, hearing uh, of uh, co- congressman. This is on the House side, distinguished yeah. from the Senate side, um, and there were about twenty members of the committee. Um, and it had the specific topic of uh, to address fa- failures to deport the criminal aliens. So the topic was known in advance. The director of ICE was uh, required to attend and uh, underwent uh, two and a half hours of quite rigorous questioning by committee members. What was, I think, very disappointing 
uh, and disconcerting uh, was the failure of the director of ICE to to provide answers to a lot of the questions about um, why, why and how are, uh, are these people being released and who is making the decision to release them. Uh, the director kept referring to agency discretion, uh, and, but on the other hand, we don't know who is making those decisions or what the basis of their discretionary choices are. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the members of the committee uh, sometimes became very sharp and very angry in the failures of the director of ICE to, to provide information. Um, some of these questions uh, even came up a year ago at a similar hearing involving the same, <clears throat> same director of ICE and one of the members of the committee had actually uh, got a transcript and pointed out that these same, uh, many of these same questions had been asked a year ago, and the committee still had not received the information they wanted. So, and no, no some, progress had been made. They weren't really addressing it at all. Is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> the the uh, uh, what they were doing, we don't know, and that's why some of the members of the committee got very angry in their Mm -hmm. questions. Um, In in my opinion, there's much too much secrecy by ICE on what they're doing. They have a very strong public interest, public safety function, and I think it is very inappropriate for them to be so guarded about information. uh, there, there, there should be much more public access into how they make their decisions and what they're doing so that uh, we can see if anything should be changed. Um, yes. So when I say it was disconcerting to hear the testimony, that's what I mean. I, I, I left, and I think many others and many on the commi- uh, committee were not satisfied with the information that I was providing. Wow. Yeah. Wendy I'm just sorry. commented. Wendy just commented that there uh, there is a uh, regulation that allows ICE to send letters to the State Department whenever a country is recalcitrant or resisting the return of its citizens, and they uh, ICE can write to the State Department, which in theory, uh, can take uh, some actions, for example, under visas or foreign aid, but the director had no idea if any letters had ever been sent and said she would look into that and get back to the committee with copies uh, within a couple of weeks. Um, I, I, we have not heard uh, of anything being provided and been what, mm-hmm. almost a month yeah. now. Yeah. April 20th. Wow. Kind of this status quo, <laughs> it sounds like. Go ahead, Delilah. Well, since all of this has happened and all that you both have been through with these hearings, what, in your opinion, what are the solutions? What 
steps do you think need to be taken to change this situation? Um, I mean, you know how government is. They can have hearings until the cows come home, but progress is very, very slow. Right. Well, Very good question. I think for one thing, there has to be more information forthcoming from ICE on how they make their decisions uh, so that uh, the public and members of Congress can look and see if any further legislation is needed. Um, Another thing is that um, there has to be more of a tie-in between um, ICE and Homeland Security and the State Department. Uh, because the State Department does control visas and uh, foreign aid, and that is how we can get leverage back to the United States over recalcitrant countries who will not take their citizens back. That would require congressional legislation. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's also very important that this issue of Uh, deportation of criminal aliens not get uh, buried or lost in the much more broad issues of immigration reform. I think this is a uh, particular area where there can be legislation to to enhance the public interest and uh, I'm I'm very worried that um, if this gets swept up in the controversies of immigration reform in general, um, it can get lost in the process. So we are hopeful that there will be some targeted reform on this particular area. Um, I do. Yeah, have it has to, to be separate. It has to be separate or else it will get lost. I totally agree with you. So it takes people – advocates such as you and Wendy and the other family to keep it? How do we, you know, we need to keep the pressure on, keep it in the forefront, hold their feet to the fire to the extent that we can. And I think our Connecticut delegation, it sounds like they're prepared to help do that, correct? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, we were very pleased with our reception. They are Uh, very well informed now about the complexity and the importance of uh, reform uh, for uh, deportation. I mean, one thing that bothers me is uh, we are a very generous country. We uh, historically have allowed immigration, and that is is part of the strength uh, and the character of the United States, but if we have threats within our country from some of the immigrants or those who commit uh, aggravated crimes, the, the country has to be able to protect itself against those people and protect the public interest. So I, I am worried as we look into the future and uh, as there are, there's more migration from other parts of the world where we don't know very much about who's coming or their background. Um, I'm very worried that we cannot handle threats to public safety uh, that are already here. Yeah. Uh, 
I I totally agree with you. It's just it, it, the the problem is overwhelming. But um, I think at least you know there you've opened a can of worms that needed to be opened, and we're doing what we can do um, at our level, and you know hold the, our, their feet to the fire and all of that. And I'm hoping that we can we can have you know regular updates on this because it takes a horrific case and a family such as Wendy because people pay attention to human stories no matter if it's at the state level when you go testify to the legislature or not that's what they pay attention to they make it real so that that aspect is very important uh, i'm thinking that we have about 20 minutes or so left could we segue a bit to um, the aspect of your case, Wendy, where it has come to trial and you you participated in the trial. Of course, the sentencing has not come up yet, but can can you tell us what occurred in the murder trial? And I think there were some things that were a bit of a surprise. Could you describe that for us? Um, it was pretty... It was it was hard. It was hard going there every day and having to see him every day. And um, but uh, there was the the evidence was so overwhelming uh, to convict him. And then he was coming up with some letters that he had written to people to try to get them to help him. You know his his side of the of the of the case. What was that? The well, there was a uh, an alibi witness uh, uh, witness who said he was with Jacques till around quarter of three in the morning. Uh, that that witness may have been truthful, uh, 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 but then Jacques apparently wrote to him, and it appears uh, to be attempting to encourage him to enlarge the alibi. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, this uh, letter included a very startling statement written by Jacques. um, And it said, Casey died at 3 a.m. Well, that's important because no one knew when Casey died. There was about a 12 or 14 hour window uh, during which she she was killed, but there was no no one could establish the time. So and the medical that, examiner could not say, is that right? No, no, because uh, she was found, um, you know, 14, 16 hours, uh, probably after she was killed. So uh, they couldn't tell. Uh, but for Jacques to write a letter to someone and say, Casey died at 3 a.m., right. you say, wait a minute, how do you know? Right. <laughs> Not too bright. <laughs> now, this letter was intercepted by uh, Corrections. Corrigan uh, uh, intercepted it and then gave it to the state's attorney, and it was introduced as an exhibit at the trial. Um, so in a way, uh, Jacques' attempt to expand on his alibi uh, boomeranged and produced uh, very important evidence against him. 
And how long did the trial take, and were there many, you know, witnesses, that kind of thing? It was, it was, the trial was about two weeks. There was not a, a large amount of witnesses, but um, the ones uh, for us were very, very good. All, all of our witnesses were really good. And then there was some for him that you could tell they were, they were right out lying. They were just, they, they were perjuring themselves, two of them, two of them at least. And that was that was kind of upsetting, but um, mm-hmm. we kind of knew. I I knew towards the um, the end and everything that there was no way he was going to beat this at all, and I was pretty confident. But you know, wait, where when you went back to the court when the jury came back in, and we were all holding each other and stuff, and they said you know guilty. It was it was a big like massive release. Of energy for me that um, that day because I looked at her pictures I shouldn't have but I just had to know what he did to her and um, very that made me very angry and upset. Uh, of course. Did that you have many it. family many family members and um, I, I was have, wondering also how did the media yeah. treat you? Her well, I'm the only one. My ex-husband and his wife Wendy, the Casey's stepmother, they were there every single solitary day. But they're they're not uh, as, in, uh, as involved in the. No, so they're involved, but they're but they're they aren't talkative. You know what I mean? They're kind of shy. They they wouldn't be able to talk on on the talk show. So they they let they let me do all the talking for the family. You are the spokesperson. Uh huh. There you go. Yes, for the Chadwick right. and the Hartley. Yes. And, and you were treated well in, with regard to the local media? Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. They, I, I was uh, interviewed by Fox 61 and mm-hmm. uh, was back on the Lori Hopkins Kavanaugh show. I was on her show. Now I'm on your show again. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's getting... Um, more national attention, as Chester said, now, which is important. What do you What do you foresee uh, in terms of the of the sentencing? And after that, are you planning to, you know, to do uh, more advocacy all along um, with regard to this issue as things come up, or do you feel like you're going to be asked to testify again uh, in Washington? Could that be yes. a possibility? I think that's a strong possibility, and I will do whatever it takes. I will continue to fight for this for as long as it takes, the rest of my life. You know, they, you know, he took something away from me that that just cannot be replaced, and and I'll never be able to let go of that. And so, I want to keep fighting for her. Chester, do you foresee that um, he that he will not be deported as part of this sentence? Well, I, I think he's going to be sentenced. Uh, I, if, if I were the judge, uh, I would max him out um, on the sixty years uh, so that he'll he'll never get out because we can't rely on ICE to deport him. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, judges give someone a, a lesser sentence to serve 
with the expectation that they will be deported. And there have been some shocking stories around the country where judges greatly reduced sentences expecting deportation, and then ICE uh, uh, ends up releasing the guys uh, back into population. So I think the judge uh, will probably have in the back of her mind the awareness uh, that ICE cannot be relied on in the Jean-Jacques case, and to protect the public safety, the only thing to do is to warehouse him uh, until he dies in prison, which is probably uh, what I would expect the result to be. There's there's going to be other things that happen. I mean, the sentencing is coming up. Wendy will speak. Um, uh, And there's going to be further uh, inquiry directed to ICE, and uh, there'll be further things that happen. we, we, we'll just see what evolves, but uh, the the efforts are definitely not over. Right. Well, you know, that's a, a, an area that's related that we, we um, talked about earlier was um, a particular article that you had referenced from the Boston Globe in which um, there were just thousands of of names that would not be released because of so-called privacy rights? Could you address that a little bit? Well, this, this is the problem in uh, the difficulty in getting information out of ICE. Um, the uh, Boston Globe, under Freedom of Information Act, uh, asked that the names of um, and uh, all uh, uh, the illegal uh, aliens who had committed aggravated crimes uh, that the uh, and should have been deported, but who were instead uh, released by ICE, uh, that uh, they wanted those names and crimes to be released. Uh, I think I just misspoke. It's uh, any any immigrant who commits an aggravated crime, whether uh, they have a lawful status here or not, if they're uh, Im- any immigrant status, if they commit the aggravated crime as defined under the act, they're supposed to be deported. Uh, ICE mm-hmm. uh, claimed that these uh, people had a privacy interest and refused to release the names. The Boston Globe <laughs> went into district court. The district court found there was no such a privacy interest because they were not citizens. Uh, and uh, ultimately ended up uh, ordering that the uh, names for a a period of time be released. And uh, there were about 6,000 names uh, in that period of time. When uh, the Norwich Bulletin and other uh, sources uh, tried to get information after uh, Casey's uh, uh, murder came uh, uh, to uh, occurred and uh, came came uh, into focus. Uh, I said uh, they could not release any information because Jacques had a privacy right. Well, <laughs> once again, Jacques is not a citizen and he does not have a privacy right. But I initially refused to release information. Then uh, we went down to the hearing, Wendy and I, and um, Casey's a very good friend. Uh, Uh, Krista. Uh, And then we listened to the director of ICE uh, 
say to the oversight committee that she didn't have certain information or it was not yet available or she didn't know the answer to certain questions, uh, you end up uh, quite, I think, uh, uh, I mean, this is a, uh, this is a response fight. Yeah, yeah you make, totally uh, it makes you very, yeah, that's why I say there has to be more transparency about how ICE is making its decisions and what they're doing uh, uh, because they uh, seem to me to be very reluctant, very resistant uh, to release information. And do, you, I, I, do you feel like this is a committee, a, 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 you know, a committee of a dozen people and they meet once a month or is it, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you hypothesize in terms of how this is, is being done right now? Is there any rhyme or reason? Uh, you mean being done by who, Donna? Which, by uh, ICE, in terms of how they make their decisions. Could you, well, what do you speculate is happening? How is it being done, do you think? Well, I don't know a lot about how it's being done. Um, uh, they do announce uh, programs. They had one called Safe Communities. Uh, and they announced uh, how they were going to address uh, problems of uh, identifying and apprehending uh, uh, criminal uh, immigrants, those who committed crimes. Uh, and that went for uh, about a year and a half and was scrapped by ICE and replaced by something else called a priority enforcement program. Um, but we, we don't know what what uh, is going on in individual cases. For example, who made the decision that John Jocks was not a threat to public safety uh, and, uh, before ICE released him? Um, uh, you know, after he had committed attempted murder and had uh, three, uh, two, two uh, parole uh, violations, uh, who in the world uh, thought that he could safely go back into population? These are these are things we don't know. Absolutely, and these numbers are incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and do you, do you feel like the states such as maybe Texas and Arizona, those that are border states, I mean, that's where the preponderance of these aggravated felons end up because they're border states, or is that just maybe that's um, you know a, a well, misinformation? I really don't. I mean, anytime there's a, a higher uh, a proportion of uh, immigrants coming in, uh, 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 there's likely to be a higher percentage who commit uh, 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 aggravated crimes. So. I think it's just by the numbers of people. Um, the border states, of course, have their own special problems uh, in uh, interdiction and apprehension at the borders. Um, right. But the other problem of um, uh, criminal aliens, and that's, I'm using the word that's, that arises from the Immigration Act, uh, uh, of course, not all immigrants are uh, criminals. We're not saying that. But those who do commit aggravated crimes uh, 
it's across the country. Uh, You have uh, tragedies like this happening in uh, Massachusetts, New York, now now Connecticut. Uh, uh, We had the tragedy of the shooting on the pier. Uh, California. uh, 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 Yeah, uh, I think it's Steinley. but uh, these uh, these situations are being reported across the country. Yeah, and it, you know, it, we sometimes think that it's just sort of a drop in the ocean, and and it makes us think that we want to give up. But I really, really think that you have taken up the charge, and I'm so I'm so grateful that. Um, Wendy, you've chosen to use your situation to kind of uh, spearhead this effort, and it's going to take a lot of people to 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 make uh, the government more transparent and to try to do things like this. But I hope that you will, um, you know, keep in touch with us, and if as things um, happen with regard to uh, you know other things becoming more significant that you will keep in touch with us and we will continue to report this because it's only by the courage of people such as yourself um, that things change because government government tends to uh, become more and more bureaucratic and people do not know. And if we don't uncover these things and change them um, as they impact crime victims, then you know, it, it just leads to more and more chaos and more and more tragedy. So I just really, really have to commend you, and we wish you, you know, the best with um, the continuation of hearings, and I hope that you'll keep in touch with us with regard to the sentencing. Um, and uh, you're just an inspiration for everyone. Um, Delilah, do you, do you have any other parting uh, questions or thoughts that you might want to ask before we have to close out the show? Well, with this information, we could go on for hours, I'm sure. But I think, you know, it's great that there are baby steps being taken. Um, You know, unfortunately, I'm sure others are going to be victims of crime before this all comes about, whenever it comes about, that we can change this situation. Um, you know, it's it's a dangerous world we live in, and somehow or another, we've got to know how to protect ourselves legally. Um, you know, against against the dark forces out there. Right. We we really do. Um, Chester, what do you what do you foresee with regard to after the report is issued? Um, is the are the Connecticut delegation going to um, to to take that report and then um, what what would be the, the the next step before we close out? Just wondering. Well, there's there's a lot of things that are going on are going to happen. Uh, we're going to try to get more information and documents from ICE under the Freedom of Information Act. Yeah. Um, there there was uh, one case uh, somewhat similar to this where a lawsuit was brought against. ICE uh, for a, a, a similarly disturbing case in uh, failure to deport in New York. Um, mm-hmm. That was 
dismissed on governmental immunity, which, by the <laughs> by the way, is another example of ICE uh, insulating and protecting uh, uh, if they can block uh, recourse uh, through the courts. Um, by, by the way, uh, Donna, Wendy and I will be at the Melanie Rieger Memorial Conference Against Violence on June 15th, so we look forward to seeing you there. Okay. Uh, yes, that is an annual conference and, 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 uh, in June 15th at the Central Connecticut State University. Is that correct? Yep, yep. Okay. By the way, and, Tickets are still available. Uh, red people okay. can register. They can go to the uh, Melanie Rieger Memorial Conference, run it on Google, and see the uh, the agenda and purchase tickets. Wonderful. Well, we always endorse their good work, and thank you for reminding me of that. So for now, we're going to uh, to close out this show, but I want to say thank you again so very much, and please do keep in touch, and we'll be anxiously looking to see uh, what happens next. So uh, right. thank you again, Wendy. Thank you, Chester. Thank, thank you, you, Delilah. Right. And we will close out the show until next Saturday. All right. Thank you.